0: But the title of the message is "The Secret of Contentment," and um, and it is my prayer. I've just been praying for the church family that every single one of us would go through the holidays and get into the new year, being able to say, like the Apostle Paul, I- "I've learned to be content, and that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." It's like, what does that mean? Well. Um, we're going to begin a very important journey this morning. I'm really excited about it. If you look here in Philippians chapter 4, let's begin in verse 10. Boy, the whole chapter is important, but we only have so much time. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he writes, we'll, we'll begin reading in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have, what's the next word, you guys? Learned. Very important, okay? I've learned. It's a process, okay? So it implies that he didn't always know what he's going to address here. I learned in whatever state I am to be, what's the next word? Content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned. I've learned it, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And in verse 13, he writes, I can do all things through Christ, who, what's the next word? Strengthens me. Boy, what does that mean? You may have a seat at this time. You know, it's been said in America we want what we don't have, and we have what we don't want. Kind of reminds me of when Howard Hughes, the billionaire, was asked, you know, how much does it take for a man to be happy? He said, just a little more. Hey, is more ever enough? The truth is that the reality of having some sense of equilibrium, having some sense of balance in the moment, like in the present, and just you know, being blessed and just you know, in the moment, having a sense of contentment and well-being in the moment is not just a 21st century challenge. I mean, it's been around for a long time. I mean, the Apostle Paul said he had to learn to be content. It's interesting to me. Think of the implication of that the great Apostle Paul who penned two-thirds of the New Testament if he said, hey, I had to learn to be content or I learned to be content, tells us that, you know, there was a time in his life that a sense of equilibrium, no matter what's taking place circumstantially, was not the case in his life. He had to learn to kind of have this balance and sense of shalom and well-being. Now, someone might say, okay, well, look, I mean, you know, 2000 years ago, very unique challenges. And, and I, I could see someone living, you know, without the internet and flat screen TVs, you know, they're going to have to learn to be content. I mean, Paul probably walked most of where, you know, he was, He just walked everywhere, uh, you know, didn't have the transportation that we have. I and mean, when he got on boats and stuff, they were really dangerous and shipwreck and all these challenges, um, yeah, big difference between first century today, although some things have never changed. Uh, the creature comforts of today, I mean, are, are huge and we're definitely a more comfortable culture than 2000 years ago. However, listen, highly debatable whether the first century soul is more healthy than the 21st century soul. Highly debatable. It'd be highly debatable to say that today's culture is more healthy when it comes to soul psychologically than uh, those who lived 2,000 years ago. I mean, we're the generation that can just pile issue upon issue into our intellectual, emotional, and volitional life. I mean, just cram our lives with schedules and and busyness and to be here and there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just raise your hand. I mean, listen, we're a unique generation. A generation that is less simple, much more complex, with life having a way of piling up on us. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, Psychology Today reports an article entitled Contentment, what you can't find in a pill that the use of antidepressants rose 400% in the U.S. in less than a decade. And let me tell you, modern technology, social media is not helping, but adding to the problem. And, and, and one of the ways it is, is, I mean, if you just think about Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, I mean, these things are not intrinsically evil or, you know, wrong or something, but if you just think about the nature of them, I mean, you can like upload or you can Host your particular moment, what's going on in your life, like almost to the world. I mean, it just goes immediately to be accessible to the entire world, which means that like billions of other people can do the same, right? And you can be alerted to what's happening in l- hundreds of other people's lives in their moments. All of a sudden, you're bombarded with all the moments of other people, you know. Um, yeah rather than being in your own moment. And social media and our technology actually fuels comparison, which leads to major insecurity. It's like one of my favorite lyricists, John Foreman, I mean you know the switchfoot, his father's a Calvary Chapel pastor, but I just, he is just a fantastic writer. I like how he says it. You know, there's these bunch of dangerous diversions in our generation from the present tense. it's like so true. I, I mean, we can so much lose just being in the moment, enjoying the moment, by multitasking ourselves to death. And I'll tell you, it's rewiring actually our brain and our security and our soul. This is what we're being told. And I like what John said. He wrote a. A column in the, uh, for, for the Huffington Post or something, and, and uh, he said, you know, if comparison is the thief of joy, then our culture is being robbed blind. It's hard-pressed to find a society that has a wider net for comparison than our own. How many of you would agree with that? Oh, I think he's right on there. Now here we're talking about the secret of contentment. When Paul said, I learned to be content, he used the word that those in that culture and that generation would often use. Uh, um, well, let me just say this, like, like the unlearned or what would be known as pagans, when they would bring you into a secret society and, and, and give you some secret understanding, initiate you in their particular group, you know, you would have to learn some secrets or something. And Paul uses that term, and not, not to suggest that, that contentment is, um, is really a secret because it's clearly out in the open, but he uses that term, and it implies It's something that we need to clearly learn. But here's the thing. We need to think really clearly on on the idea of contentment. And I want to illustrate it. Um, If I had a chair up here and I put a Greek philosopher, if I put a Stoic here and I put the Apostle Paul here and I asked them to comment on contentment, here's what they would say. The Stoic philosopher, the Greek philosopher, he'd say, contentment to us is a type of self-sufficiency and self-mastery. And he might have a few books, and he might quote a few principles, and he'd say, you know, you need to make some good decisions and keep kind of an emotional equilibrium. But the, the Stoic philosopher, Greek philosopher, would be sitting in his chair all by himself, and he, and he would expel some sense of self-mastery And self-sufficiency, watch, Paul would use the term contentment in a different way. So there Paul would be sitting, and he would say, look, um, well, if you're going to use the term self-sufficient, I need to add, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. A Totally different thing. So the Greek philosopher would be sitting in a chair and just say, "Hey, listen. The key to life is equilibrium, making good decisions, um, self mastery, discipline." Hey, there's a few things you can learn from this Stoic philosopher. Paul would say completely different thing. Because look, look who's standing behind me. I'm sitting down. Look, the one standing behind me who has his hand on my life is none other than Jesus Himself. Oh, I I am self sufficient in. Christ's sufficiency. I have a source of strength and, and giftedness and grace and presence that is outside of myself, that is the key to my strength and my well being. It is relationship with Almighty God. 2 Corinthians 3 5 reads, Our sufficiency is from God. I love how the Amplified Bible puts it, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. So watch, if you have... Greek philosopher sitting here, he's talking about contentment, self-sufficiency, self-mastery, discipline, sweat it out, equilibrium, try to keep it emotionally. Paul would say, hey, just, well, I am self-sufficient in Christ-sufficiency. I mean, I got this incredible organic relationship, and I'm being infused from the inside out with the strength from on high. And, and he's going to say in just a little bit, listen, I have learned. Oh my goodness gracious, I have learned. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me now let's put someone else in the chair let's put modern man in this chair and if you ask well I mean how do you have a sense of well-being you know um sense of happiness well it really depends so much on what happens to me whether my expectations are being met whether I'm reaching my goals um My love life, my sex life, I mean, you know, it just depends upon what happens to me so much exteriorly and impacting interior life and stuff. Okay. Well, that's completely different actually than what Paul would say. He would say in his chair, look, I've actually, I've actually learned to boast actually in adversity and infirmities because it's not like I'm totally into pain or anything, but I just learned to boast even when things are not going the way that I had hoped because it's during that time that I experienced kind of a renewed sense of Christ's strength upon my life. Paul says, most gladly, I'll rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I mean, is that a, are those the words of a madman? No way. No way. The words of a man who found contentment, sufficiency in fellowship with God, regardless of his physical problems or circumstances. In 2 Corinthians 12 9, the Lord said to Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. All you need, I mean, when you boil down, just full-on is is me and it was my incredible grace my riches that i've made available and purchased for you at the cross my strength is made perfect in weakness so paul in verse 13 would just go look i i i i learned to be content i mean I, I've, I've had this yo-yo life of ups and downs, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. It will encourage you, because I know some of you are suffering, but I just learned to be content. And in verse 13, I've, I, I can just say, I, by God's grace, I can do all things through, everybody say it, Christ, you know, who strengthens me. Very similar to what David penned in Psalm 23, verse 1, when he said, the Lord is my, can someone tell me, shepherd. It's like, hey, listen, you have a shepherd. A shepherd's providing for you, protecting you. He's behind and in front of you. He's directing you. He's like, you're all in all. Um, it's like, we, we, we all need a shepherd. And, and Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And, 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 and the shepherd is the Lord God Almighty. We are made to have relationship with him. And let me ask you, could you say, I have learned to be content? Could you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me? Could you say, look, when my back is up against the wall, I mean, for Paul, he's writing from prison, so it's like his back is up against the wall. I have, I have a joy, a sense of well-being and peace that actually surpasses all understanding. It doesn't come by understanding what's happening, but surpasses it. Look, here's the thing. I asked you those questions. Some of you are saying, well, for sure, for some time, I, I know what Paul is saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm not so sure. I can say I've learned to be content. The reason why I ask you the question is actually to draw out the fact that it is a learned issue. So whether we could say, hey, I've learned, well, I am content, I, I would have to say I learned to be content. It's something that... I've, I've grown in something that I've experienced in Christ. As I mentioned, the word learn was a word used by those who are kind of going to initiate you into their secret society to reveal some hidden truth. And the reality is that contentment is a learned process. Paul went through it, and I want you to be encouraged by his life. Because I know some of you are struggling I mean, life is a struggle. There's all kinds of unique currents to life itself. Let me tell you something. When Paul penned this, he's in prison. He's in Rome at this time. And he is actually in a very unique place. He's in the compound of the emperor of Rome himself. And the emperor of Rome is a really bad guy by the name of Caesar Nero. Nero. And if you pan back the picture, like four or five years prior to this, it all, it, the reason why he's in prison and what reason why he's in Rome, it goes all the way back to Jerusalem, actually. Paul had come off his third missionary journey. Just track with me a little, because you can really see the dynamic of Paul's life. You know, he comes off his third missionary journey. He wants to go to Jerusalem. I understand that feeling a little bit. He wants to worship the Lord at Pentecost, fifty days after resurrection. His friends are begging him, "Please don't go up there, Paul, because you go up there, gonna they're gonna tear you apart." You know, all kinds of crazy ideas out there that. You know, you don't respect the fathers or respect the law and all kinds of crazy stuff, which was not true. He said, I want to go to Jerusalem and I want to worship the Lord and be a witness of Christ. And long story short, he gets to Jerusalem and he, and he goes atop the Temple Mount and someone floats a false charge that he has brought a non-Jew, a Gentile, into the Jewish court there atop the Temple Mount to worship, which was totally not the case. But you have to understand, if you bring a non-Jew, a Gentile into the Jewish court in the temple, there's these signs all over the place we talked about last week. You do that, you, it, could, it could cost you your life. It's punishable unto death. And so this false charge is circulated that, hey, Paul, you know, he's actually brought a non-Jew. You know, this guy doesn't respect the law, doesn't respect our roots, which is not the case. And and, and and you have this mob that ensues. They're about ready to tear Paul apart. He's arrested. He's interrogated. He's a Jew, but he's also a Roman citizen. He ends up asking to be able to make this appeal to the crowd and explain his position in Christ. There's these plots to kill him in Jerusalem. He ends up like making this appeal to Caesar himself. They take him down to Caesarea. He's there for two and a half years He's then put on a boat. It ends up being shipwrecked. He ends up in Malta. He ends up in the prison house of the emperor himself in Rome. I mean, look, you just have, what I'm trying to sh- give you a sense of is that Paul, I mean, he's been through it. And, and how many of you know there are ebbs and flows to life? I mean, life is not a flat line. There's ups and there's downs and That's what Abby was talking about earlier. She did such a great job. I mean, one minute, Paul, you know, is about ready to be torn limb from limb. People are plotting his death. Next minute, he's guarded by Roman soldiers. He loses his liberties. He can't travel. On his way to Rome, he's shipwrecked. It just goes on and on and on. And yet Paul writes, I learned. I learned to be content. And I can do By the grace of God, all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can I hear a big amen to that? It's like I'm not like Howard Hughes, like, just give me a little more. It's like I'm not so content. I've learned I'm self-sufficient in the sufficiency that is in Jesus Christ and infuses my life from the inside out. That contentment is not based upon circumstances or what one possesses, Paul would say, but who you know and how you think and who you are as a person in terms of godly character. Question, the question becomes, well, how does that become a reality for all of us? And, 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 by, and this is no way... A, a, like a, a comprehensive message. I'm actually trying to get through some of this a little bit. We'll receive communion. And then I'd love for us to hang out and have a little leisure time together uh, after service. But I wanna, I wanna identify f- five things. Number one, here, here's what's critical, you guys. You have to be intentional in your thinking. There's no doubt about that. I mean, if you're going to be able to learn to be content, you need to be intentional in your thinking. If you look up at verse 8, look at verse 8, the latter part of chapter 4, Paul mentions to meditate on these things. And prior to that, in verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever or whatever things are true and whatever things are noble, in verse eight, and just and pure and, and are lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate or think upon these things. And the Greek word there to meditate is legisima and it means to count or compute or calculate or count over, it's like count up or weigh the reasons or to deliberate, okay? So here's, here's the point Paul is saying, look, I want you to to allow me to be an example to you. I want you to learn from me. I have learned to be content. Okay, your inner life, the management of your thinking is going to be critical. Just a simple point. But look, if, if we're going to get to the point where we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, you know, I'm a Christian. I have right relationship with God. He indwells me. It's like, you know, I stand before him by in grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, if I'm going to enjoy that, if I'm going to live that out, if it's going to be a reality in my life, my thinking is going to have to be intentional. There's no doubt about that. It tells us to learn contentment. It's essential that you learn how to think. You need to be deliberate in your thinking. In contrast to your feelings and circumstances or habits to dictate your thought patterns and over and over in Philippians Paul mentions the mind and to think and to remember many many times okay second thing now this may strike you as a bit odd and this may strike you as a bit archaic or irrelevant if you're here for the first time you're gonna think man this is kind of weird but this is really important You need to give yourself an, what's the next word? An idle check. It's true. Look, let me put it this way. If you are embittered, if you feel a bit unstable, if you're unhappy, um, if you're just bummed out and really low, You need to ask yourself what, besides Jesus Christ, has taken title to my functional trust, if you will. I mean, what has taken over my heart that I am in trust, that I'm trusting in other than Jesus Himself? Now, let me share something with you. You can be bummed out for really legit reasons, and you can just, like, not be very happy for legitimate reasons. I mean, Jesus was a man of sorrow. And, you know, death happens and mistakes happen and, and conflict happens in life. But more times than not, if we're, if we're bummed, more times than if we're unhappy and discontented and, and bitter, more times than not, the Lord has been dethroned in our life. Something has taken the throne that was never intended to be there. Something has taken a greater preoccupation than what the Lord has done in our life. And and now we're beginning to look to kind of inordinate, inordinate affection, kind of look to these God replacements or idols that end up treating us very, very harshly. I mean, Jesus said, watch out. He said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his, can someone tell me, his possessions, things. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with things, but just don't make sure that your possessions don't possess you. And you know what this means? Jesus rescues us really from kind of a delusional field of deifying created things. I mean, work is important, no doubt about it. Family is important, sure, relationships are important, exercise is important, health is important, but none of those things are ever to take the place of the Lord himself in our life. And so if like seriously, if you're bummed or you're full of anxiety and things, look, challenge yourself. Take an idle check. Has something or someone like taken the chief seat in your heart and your mind that is like becoming, you know, uh, you know, inspiring kind of the functional trust of your heart and soul. Because a Christian has turned from deifying things, which is a type of delusion that leads to an illusion, which is a 21st century institution that's john foreman again <laughs> sorry All right. i love that guy anyways look if you read philippians i mean paul is like emphasizing oh my gosh you guys we were made to know the lord to live is christ have this mind and think this way and be a servant like he was and rejoice in the lord always so church family listen Throughout the holiday days and beginning in the new year, I, I want us to be intentional in our thinking. We're going to have to be to learn contentment. I want you guys on occasion. I'm doing this too. I've been doing this throughout this week. I've been trying to practice this message throughout this week. Ask yourself, hey, has the Lord been dethroned and something else taken the throne that I'm trusting and that I'm really kind of looking. To, to be my identity and security and find my peace in. Because let me share some of you, idols, which are really God replacements, treat us very, very harshly. So just give yourself an idol check. Hey, can I hear an amen to that? All right, number three, watch this. Be thankful. Oh boy, so important. Rejoice in the Lord. Always again I say rejoice, Paul says in chapter four. Put some gratitude in your attitude. <laughs> so important. Look, in a lot of ways, Christians ought to be the most thankful people on planet Earth. Would you not agree with that? Do you, do you know that? Do you know they found that people who are thankful have some gratitude in their attitude are, are a whole lot more healthy in soul? And oftentimes in body as well. Not always the case, but oftentimes in body. They say, look, if you're a thankful person, you know, some gratitude in your attitude, appreciating what is and being thankful for what God has given you, it's, it's going to extend your life about seven and a half years. <laughs> You know, I love Psalm 6930. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with, can someone tell me? Thanksgiving. Oh, hey, listen. God is already really big. The Lord is really big, has really big muscles, and he's really wonderfully sovereign. And you know, he's working out his will in your life. You know, he's working with your decisions, but he's also working despite your decisions. All things are working for the good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. That's a flat out fact. That is taking place in your life. He wants you to rest in that. Here's what happens when we worship him and give thanks to him while he's already really big. Thanksgiving magnifies who the Lord is in our own hearts. Boy, that's important. You know, I think of the children of Israel when they're taking on Goliath. I mean, they're paralyzed by how big Goliath was. And then comes David who loved to worship God and celebrate how big God is. So he just totally sees the circumstances through a different lens. Israel's thinking, my goodness gracious, there's no way we could overcome this guy because he's so big. And I don't know. I mean, David may be thinking he's so big. How could I miss? You know what I mean? It's like, I'm gonna just lay a rock right between his eyes. But he just sees, he sees the circumstances completely different. A lot of times our perspective, look, our balance gets totally well. We become imbalanced, because of an absence of worship, an absence of thankfulness to the Lord. So be thankful. Gratitude in your attitude. Learn to enjoy what he's given you. The truth is, if you got it, God gave it to you. And this means that learning to be content requires that you stop kind of the the when and then thinking. It's like, you know, when I am... 30, or when I am 60, then I'll be happy or something, or when I have um, a house, or when I have this boat, or when I have whatever it may be, then I'll be happy. This type of thinking bypasses an essential reality of contentment, which is learning to appreciate what you already have. Because if you don't learn to appreciate what you already have, you won't appreciate anything ultimately that you obtain in your life. That's why Howard Hughes answered the way he did. Hey, Howard, you're a billionaire, yeah? Um, How much does it take for a man to be happy? Just a little more. Really? Oh. So it doesn't seem to me that you've learned to enjoy really anything because you've been given so much. It's kind of like, you know, that kid who just has been given 10 Christmas presents just keeps opening one after another and then gets to the end and just kind of frustrating. Give me some more, give me some more. I mean, you know, now you got to like sit down and enjoy, you know, what you've been given and and things. And, And that's what we need to do as well. Number four, and in some ways, if you haven't heard anything, you've got to hear this. It's very, very important. Church family, I want to encourage you during the holidays and into 2015, be in the, everybody say it, present. Be in the present. Very important. In fact, I want you to give yourself a gift. <laughs> Not to be silly, but just think about this. I want you to give yourself a present. I want you to give yourself the present tense. I want you to give yourself like the present. Be fully where you are. Because you can't be in two places at once. And yet a lot of people are either, and this is generally what happens, they're either allowing the past with regrets or maybe even shame to pull them into a zone that doesn't even exist anymore. So like, you know, they're in the here and now, but they're allowing, there's different ways we could say this, like if channel one was the past, channel two is the present, channel three is the future. Okay, you know, you're in channel two, but you're allowing channel one, the past to pull you back in some regret or shame into some zone that doesn't even exist. And you're not fully where you are in the present. And that, that happens with many. And for Paul, he, part of his learning to be content and be able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in the good and the bad. It's not based on circumstances or possessions and stuff. I mean, in this very book, he's just saying, look, there's one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind me. I mean, I'm just like always moving forward, laying hold of why Christ laid hold of me. And I want you to do the same, you guys. Don't let the past pull you down into some zone that doesn't even exist. Or we end up projecting fears into the future that bring us into the zone of major confusion. Into a reality that doesn't even exist, right? But it robs us from the present. Be in the present. Oh man, very critical to enjoying and experiencing the, the, the sufficiency that is already ours in Christ. Hey, can I hear another amen to that? One of my f- favorite Paul Tripp's quotes is the more you concentrate on the future, the more you'll give way to the fear of the future, and the more you'll be confused and demotivated in the here and now. I want to share another quote with you. This is my fourth time I've mentioned John Foreman, okay? I like him as a writer, but he writes, you know, what joys I have missed, occupied with my fears, my regret, my comparisons. Too many to count. Sometimes when I'm busy with these distractions, my daughter reminds me of the simple bliss of the present tense. A couple ants on the playground, a dandelion, the wind in the trees. Certainly the camera and the microphone are not the enemy, like a website or a knife or a subatomic theory. These are just the tools at hand. We are responsible for our use of these powerful tools, our dangerous diversions from the playing field of the present tense. So true. Hey, be present. And finally, number five, be godly. There's no joy in sin. I mean, sin can be pleasurable for a few moments, but there's no joy, there's no substance in wickedness. Be godly. Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. And be a good giver, be others-oriented. Very important. Remember the Lord, the Lord made us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This is where we're studying Ephesians and we'll get back to Ephesians soon. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good, can someone tell me, works. In other words, your life was designed to be like this conduit of love and compassion and empathy. It's like, hey, give compassion, give understanding, help people physically, help people emotionally, help people, People spiritually. Listen, that's, that's a call of God on all of our lives. And, and it's, it's critical to our own well-being. I mean, be godly. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do the right thing. Be a good giver. Be others-oriented. Absolutely critical. Learning to be content requires putting, and I have this in your notes, putting gratitude in your attitude, not comparing yourself with others, but being thankful for what God has given you and then doing something with what he's given you. Gosh, during a season where it's really, really easy to be pulled away by some, Advertisement that just tries to bring up something in our hearts, really tries to. It may sound like an overstatement, but trying to promote really a form of idolatry. I know that sounds a bit odd, but if you think of it accurately, which is an idol is a god replacement. I'm looking to to give me what only God can give me. Man, just you got advertisements all over the place, and they say, "Hey, you need something. You really need this. Hey, just take the idol check because who I." Who I really need is him. And and he really is sufficient. The Lord is totally sufficient. I mean, just this is a this is a unique and this is a unique time, church family. Not only with all kinds of interesting enticements with regard to things, but it's at the end of the year. So we have a tendency to look back where goals met. Where are we at? Is anything going to change and stuff? Oh my goodness gracious! Listen, a mess, this message this morning is really critical. Be intentional in your thinking. Take the idle check. Be thankful. Be a good giver. Be godly. Be in the present. Be in the present. Trust God today. You know, look, Lord, Lord, you know, in in Matthew chapter 6, this doesn't want us full of worry and anxiety. Good planning with regard to the future is one thing, but a preoccupation with regard to the future, bringing future anxieties in the present is just clearly not what the Lord wants us to do. It robs us from really reality of who we are in Christ. Now, Paul said, and I'll just end with this. Paul said, look, I learned to be content. You know, so it was something that you know, I had to grow in and grow in an understanding and have kind of revealed to me. Well, let me just say this. Jesus came to reveal the most, the most important reality in life, and that is who God is and what his plan is for your life and mine. And... You know, during Christmas, of course, we give gifts and receive gifts. That's awesome. But let me just say, seriously, that the one who made you and loves you and created you, he wants to give you something. He wants to give you a present. He wants to give you himself. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to repent. He wants you to think differently. He wants you to be intentional in a new way. He wants you to turn to him. The one who hung, bled, gave his life on the cross for us. It's true. Bore the sin and shame of man. It could be said with one hand, he reached up, he took the hand of the Father, and with with the other hand, he reaches out to every single human being. He's like, he wants relationship with you. You were made to have relationship with him. Not an organization first. I mean, this is a big, wonderful church family, but relationship with the one who made us and created us, the Lord God Almighty. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, can someone tell me, son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever, big, small, black, white, no matter who you are or or what you've done, it's like right now, you, you could trust in him You could open your heart to him. Those who call upon the Lord, he will hear that prayer. Those who call upon the Lord shall be rescued. Rescued from what? Listen, we could talk about it all morning, but how about, honestly, how about from delusion and living in illusion? You know, Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul. That's a powerful statement. Because he's saying, you could have 99 things right, but if you don't have the one thing of right relationship with the Father in Christ, it throws everything off. I, I'm praying for you that no one will leave here having not opened their heart to the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Come to Him. He loves you. He's the King. Everything is moving towards Him. Look, you were made to know Him. You weren't made to put your hopes and dreams in your job. You weren't made to put all your hopes and dreams even in your family. You were made to put all your hopes and dreams in the Lord. Can I hear an amen to that?